like it is that great resonating force that connects us all. It's music that's hybrid and expansive, shape-shifting, that really interests me. Hi, I'm Katie Hendrickson. You're listening to Sound Off. We feature those creators making music. That's indescribable. Today, that's with Shara Nova. We'll hear her story after this quick break. Born in the mid-1970s in El Dorado, Arkansas to Pentecostal parents, she traveled the country with them. Her mom is an organist and her dad leading church choirs. She later went on to study voice at the University of North Texas and at some point moved to New York City to collaborate with the likes of New Music Force's David Lang and Sarah Kirkland Snyder, as well as indie rockers such as Sufjan Stevens. She actually toured with him as a backup singer in support of his release, Michigan. Her last musical release as My Brightest Diamond is 2018's A Million and One. And she said this at her website about that project. What began as a conversation about bodies in 2014 with the ritual of self-ownership with This Is My Hand is expanding with the single It's Me on the Dance Floor, a way of connecting to oneself through movement. If, like me, you don't dance, this one's for you. I I grew up as a granddaughter of a Pentecostal minister and as a daughter of a Pentecostal music director. So, honey, we were not allowed to dance. You could do the bunny hop, but, you know, I, I certainly wasn't allowed to go to school dances even though I, I really love to dance, but that wasn't in our culture. And then when I went to university and I started singing in bands, I realized that when I danced, people would whistle or I would get catcalled. And, and I just, uh, I got real freaked out about that. And so I made a very clear de- decision at 19 years old that I wasn't going to be taken seriously as a musician and as a writer, as a composer, as a singer, if I was also a dancer. I didn't know how to navigate that. And so I really shut down my relationship to my body in that way. 20 years down the line from that, I just began to see that that relationship to myself wasn't helpful. It didn't matter how other people were reacting or what other people thought of me or whether I was given respect or not. I had to maintain this relationship to my own body. It's Me on the Dance Floor was kind of this culmination of that. Are you looking outside of yourself or are you embracing not just the self but staying connected to your feet, to your hips? (laughs) I'm all alone I'm all alone Turn the lights low I'm looking out I'm looking out For someone to see And someone to be 
first memory of my life is actually when I was with my mother and she took me to this concert hall because she had an organ recital. She played classical, like the huge pipe organs. And I remember her taking off her shoes and she had these very shiny black patent leather shoes and the very special organ shoes. And I sat in the concert hall by myself, and it must have been the sound of the organ being so loud, and there was my little mother up there making this sound. So I think the shock of, of the sound just really imprinted on me. So that was the first memory of my life. But my, my father plays accordion, and my uncle is a world-class pianist, Everyone sang. Grandfather played electric guitar. So music was just in the everyday life of the family. It wasn't othering to think of being a professional musician in the family because everybody, everybody does it. <laughs> you studied uh, voice at University of North Texas. And I'm wondering maybe about that trajectory of going to a formal program studying voice and, and then jumping, launching into the realm that you find yourself in now. And maybe that path and, and how you discovered your voice, your own singular voice. I was studying classical voice and there was a band and they asked me to be one of the singers. It was an all-guy band. And it was because... Of that group, the people were playing guitar, and they were just doing cover songs. And I wanted to do what songs I wanted to do, <laughs> and they didn't want to do them. And I got really frustrated. I got frustrated by the fact that I couldn't really accompany myself. So I started, I taught myself guitar. So that was when I was 18. And then I was also singing in, in a funk band as a background vocalist. So there was a kind of um, duality that I was in even then of loving classical music very deeply, loving Debussy songs, loving Ravel, loving the process of, of learning the body in that way, of, of really paying attention to your coordination, loving the music that I was singing. And and then at the same time, also being a skater, I was skating ramps and listening to punk music and 
singing soul music and you know so there was always this never the twain shall meet so it was I would say a 10-year process of me agonizing over this pursuit of classical music and pursuit of songwriting or popular music and it was really in New York after school when I saw Antony and the Johnsons now is a noni and Rebecca Moore was also playing violin with her band and then Joan Wasser who is now Jonah's policewoman. Joan is a beautiful string player. And so all three of those New York groups had classical instrumentation, but with their their songs. Then I began to see that this was a possible way that I could work in music, was to bring classical instrumentation in pop. And of course, disco and... Edith Piaf and all the there's a forever history of classical instrumentation with pop music but I just hadn't made that link for myself so it took it took a long time
because you've composed for other iterations, such as writing an opera. And I know there's there's this Red Hot and Bach compilation that you did an arrangement of a Bach piece for Viola da Gamba's. And I love that. I would love to just hear you speak to composing for different types of settings and composing for different worlds, maybe. The great thing about this form of the Baroque mask, a mask was... Um, episodic. And these were these spectacular events that musicians would hold for the courts. So you would have these metaphorical characters like fire comes and has a conversation with water and there's spectacle. But there's not there's not storyline in the same kind of narrative way that you would have in traditional opera. The form of just simply being a songwriter and that being at the core, I think, what makes my heart beat, it it was very easy to a- apply that to a longer form in in the Baroque uh, and, and definitely a huge learning curve on the viola da gamba. <laughs> you can't just write for cello and think it's going to sound fine on viola da gamba. It doesn't, doesn't really work like that, but I, I had to find that out the hard way. We'll go back to uh, the new album that you've described as as a rebirth, really. Um, what what did it describe? Maybe a little bit about about how 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 powerful it was for you to put all your energy into this new album and birth it out and give it to the rest of the world. At the time of finalizing the recording for "This Is My Hand," uh, my marriage was in a transition and we were separating and so that wasn't something that I ever anticipated for my life it wasn't it it felt like a death of many things and so the the idea of a supernova that there is this this beautiful burst after death the phoenix the 
the idea of the pearl of transformation. It's through these tremendous challenges that we have in life that we have the opportunity to see as transformation rather than midlife crisis. (laughs) This record, I think, has those elements of self-discovery and also frustration at situations like in a song like Champagne, where there's this argument and you don't know who the argument is with, but there's this argument of someone where you're kind of blaming externally and then you realize, hey, this resentment and this attitude that I have is really hurting me and I have a choice. I'm either going to crumble in this situation or like bubbles in champagne, no one can stop what's coming up. I can allow lightness to manifest in myself. I can allow my my own buoyancy to carry me through um, what is a trying and difficult situation. The album title, A Million and One, is really about this question of how does change occur? Does it occur within the individual and then it is rippled outward? Or is there a time where the body has to be put on the line for the communal good? Do you put yourself in protest? Do you peacefully resist arrest? What does activism look like? What is our responsibility to community? In the record, there's this toggling between the self and the whole of humanity, of, of looking at us as the collective and asking a question about how does transformation on a large scale, what does that look like? I tried to tell you what I can do But you won't believe what you cannot
Pearls from My Brightest Diamonds 2018 release, A Million and One. I'm Katie Henriksen. You're listening to Sound Off, conversations with the musicians and composers who make hybrid sounds. In today's episode, we spoke with Shara Nova, known as My Brightest Diamond. To learn more about her music, go to mybrightestdiamond.com. Sound Off is a production for the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. Until next time, be well, and I hope you keep resonating with the great force of music. <laughs>